0: Breaking news. Recreational marijuana is now legal in New York. Governor Cuomo just signed a bill passed by state lawmakers overnight. So what does this mean for anyone looking to partake? Partake. Partake. From the front lines of the Green Rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur podcast my name is John Small, and I am the editor in chief of Green Entrepreneur. And we have a really interesting, much in demand episode for you today. We are going to talk to Jeff Schultz about the legalization of marijuana in New York and what that means for business owners who are interested in getting into the cannabis space, entrepreneurs who are interested in breaking into the cannabis space. Ever since New York went legal recreationally, there's been a lot of questions about, you know, when will the market open up? How do I get into the market? This is going to be one of the biggest markets in the world. So to help me sort through a lot of these questions is Jeff Schultz. He is the partner at Feuerstein Kulik LLP, which is a New York City-based law firm focused on the cannabis industry. There he advises private funds and family offices on transactional matters, fund formation, and regulatory compliance with a particular focus on cannabis capital markets. He also consults cannabis operators on financing and complex corporate transactions, banking laws, and state-level cannabis licensing and compliance. Jeff, thank you so much for joining the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm very happy to be doing this. Of a Long time, first time.
0: Yeah, long time, first time. Thanks, man. Well, first of all, give us a little background here. So Tell me how many clients you have about right now that are in the cannabis space specifically.
1: That's a great question. I That I don't have the actual number of clients, don't have the answer. Roughly like ballpark. Ballpark, uh, God, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna get shot if I get this one wrong, right? It's I would imagine we got north of 100 clients, right? But the, the firm is dedicated to cannabis, that's all we do. It's a full platform law firm, and cross-disciplinary, uh, but we focus entirely On cannabis, I'd say 98% of our clients are cannabis operators or investors.
0: So tell me like among the operators, what kind of facet of the business are they involved in all facets? Are we talking everything from like dispensary owners to non touching plant? Tell me a little bit about the type of clientele that comes to you.
1: Literally, is it's everybody across the entire spectrum of the industry, from you know, your startup, small business, uh, single business owner, uh, operator, to publicly traded MSOs, asset like brands, you name it, across the country, and then ancillary businesses as well, and a lot of investors, a lot of investors in the space.
0: All right, so let's. I think the best way to do this is let's sort of take people through the the various steps. Let's say you wanted to be in the cannabis industry in. New York. And we're going to talk very specifically here about New York state. It's different in every state. I'm I'm assuming you deal mostly with New York or do you deal with like New Jersey, the tri-state area kind of thing?
1: So when it comes to application writing, it's 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 across. The, we represent application clients across the country. To date, we we uh, obviously because we have a an anemic medical program with ten license holders. Uh, there hasn't been much to do in the app side, but uh, we we've won over forty apps for small business owners to MSOs uh, across nine different states and in competitive jurisdictions. So we we've got a pretty good deep bench and a great track record for app writing. We we just we're just so excited to be doing this in our backyard now, which is more fun. Right. It's just going to be more fun. We have a strategic advantage, I think, because we're because of the geographic proximity and because of our involvement in in the path toward legalization of adult use, which many of us have been involved in now for several years.
0: So I want to focus this on the entrepreneur in the New York area who has read all the buzz about the green rush and is like, finally, I get to get in in on it. You know, it's come to New York and I can do it. And maybe this is somebody, you know, I've had some people that have called me up and said, oh, God, do you know anything about how I would open a dispensary in New York? Or So let's like focus on that person, not the sort of big money investor. We can do another show about about those for those people. But right now, what would be like the first step of, let's say you wanted to open a dispensary in New York. What would be your first step?
1: Look, the good news is for small business owners, particularly New Yorkers, the, the regulatory framework for adult use, the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, the MRTA, was written very much with people uh, with the small business owner in mind. They very much want to capture the small business owners here and give them a, a very large chunk of this industry and maybe attempt to keep some of the bigger players out. I don't know if they'll be successful, but, but there certainly is a huge lane for small business owners. The first thing that they should do, like I think they would do in many places, but I think it's a particular relevance in New York. It starts with real estate. Unless you're applying as a social equity applicant, you need to have secured real estate. That doesn't mean that you necessarily need to own it or have a lease signed and already active and paying rent on a location, but you need to have some reasonable um, site, line of sight to that property, right? So having an LOI in place, you, you basically need to be able to take possession of a of a piece of real estate within 30 days of being awarded that license. And whether there will be a, a land grab here, I, it's hard to tell, but it does start with the real estate. the One of the few silver linings of COVID is that it's had, obviously it's had a terrible impact on on the retail real estate market, particularly in New York City. So there are a lot of empty storefronts right now. So there are opportunities. And I think you need to get with a good broker and find that space that that fits within the regulations. We don't quite know what all the local regs are going to look like with respect to zoning, but New York City's in right? There's no doubt in my mind that New York City's in. If New York City's in, why not to be that guy and be totally New York-centric? But if New York City's not in this program, why are we doing it? But they're, they're going to be in. So there's a calculated risk in going after the real estate right now in that you may not know if you're outside of New York City where those locations are going to be allowed. But it, it starts with the real estate game, finding a broker who can find you a retail space that is compliant with the state regs right now and locking that in at least one, one of those
0: Now, if you are a brand, let's say you make a vape product or you grow, you are going to manufacture a tincture or, or a plant touching product, consumer product. Is it obviously that's not a real estate concern? Are there certain applications you need to fill out to be able to sell that product in New York? So it depends on whether you want to
1: be the manufacturer or if you want to be an asset like brand, right? Asset light brands, I'm sure will have a lane in this program. I sure hope they do. It would be crazy for them not to, but we haven't seen the regulations yet, right? The, uh, and, and I'll just back up, give you the context of, you know, we passed this bill uh, at the end of March. And... We don't have the regulatory body the office of cannabis management the ocm is yet to be formed the five commissioners of what will be the cannabis control board the ccb have yet to be appointed i've heard that some of those appointments are imminent uh could be as early as next week uh, that that we'll hear about an announcement about the executive director i'll be very happy if that happens next year i'll be thrilled and maybe a little surprised but uh, hearing rumors of that uh, they need to put the, the regulatory agency together write the regs and Finalize those regs. Those regs are going to be subject to two notice and comment periods. It takes five months. So until those regs are final, we don't quite know how an asset like brand um, would be able to structure a business. Will they have to obtain a license? Doesn't look like it. But if you want a license to manufacture, if you want to touch the plant, right? If you want a processing or manufacturing license, you will uh, likewise need to. You'll you'll need to apply to that for that license for sure. And and again, same thing with cultivation. That starts with the real estate. You have to go find somewhere to either grow or manufactured products. I'll say this one thing that I've been finding unique about that real estate game in New York when it comes to manufacturing or indoor cultivation. If you want to be in and around the New York metro area, you're going to really obviously, I think everyone knows you're going to pay off. But even if you want to go to the Bronx or Queens, Amazon has driven up the prices of empty warehouses in the metropolitan area, like dramatically. So I wouldn't, uh, if I were an operator, wouldn't want to be anywhere in the New York metro area. I'd be way out either way out in long island or upstate somewhere uh, where real estate's affordable so there's a manufacturing license to apply to if you want to be actually manufacture your own products
0: now can you apply for that license yet like you said we're so in early days here with new york as we record this is there even a like where would one even find that license like is can you find it online or have they even created like i was trying to do my own due diligence on this and I couldn't find anything cuz there is no cannabis commission yet
1: correct right uh, no fault of your own no one has seen that I would love to see the application right we haven't nobody's seen the application right the application is it hasn't been written the scoring system hasn't even been finalized I know that there's a lot of discussion about that and, and how apps will be scored and even how to philosophically think about license caps for different categories and different parts of the supply chain you know we're very early days that said, I have strong sense that, that uh, lawmakers in Albany and local lawmakers here in the city are really interested in getting this program moving very quickly. Whether we execute on that, who knows, anybody's guess, but they want us to go fast.
0: Yeah, because you wonder, is it going to be like Los Angeles was, which kind of kicked off fairly quickly, or is it going to be more like Massachusetts, which took like two years to get going, and then they opened like one dispensary in like the outer suburbs of Boston really slow. But you get the sense that they're more kind of bullish about getting it moving in New York State.
1: Yeah, look, we ha- we have some sort of global macro issues, some economic issues that color that discussion upstate. The state needs money. These cities need money. Our municipalities need money. We don't want to be having, you know, we don't want to fire teachers and if we can bring in that tax revenue. And one idea that that I've been a little vocal about, I think, to bring that tax revenue forward is to bond that tax revenue. And the state and the city can issue a cannabis back muni bond, which would be a way to bring that money forward now. I don't think we're going to be Arizona, and I don't think we're going to be Massachusetts. Arizona flipped a switch right, and turned into uh, adult use like overnight. That was just just amazing to see that happen, how quickly that happened. That won't happen here. There's too much distance between our current medical program and, and the envisioned adult use program for that to happen, but we're not going to be Massachusetts either. I really don't think we will, and I say that because the way the MRTA was written is that it consolidates almost all of the licensing power and all the regulatory power at the state level. So Massachusetts had, among other issues, problems with the host community agreements and the, munici- the all the wrangling at the municipal level. That is what caused, among other reasons, I think that was the primary cause of the delay in Massachusetts. You had a lot of local issues getting your lights turned on for, for two years plus. It's been a slow, it's been a tough road for, for Massachusetts operators trying to get their doors open. That is not gonna be the case here in New York. There are no HCAs or no host community agreements. The state gets to determine whether you get to open, whether you're awarded a license or not. Uh, there will be some discretion at the local level, at the city level, the town level, as to where you can locate Like time, place, and manner are really the three issues that, that, that can be broadly interpreted. But by and large, all these decisions are going to be made in one place at one time. And that should speed up the program. Wanted to point out something on the timing here is there's one piece in the MRTA that requires all the municipalities that intend to opt out, if they're going to opt out, they must make that decision by December 31st of 2021, this calendar year. And if they don't opt out, they are irrevocably forever till the end of time, opted into the program. So that's a way of telling these towns, hurry up and make that decision soon, because people need to go find their real estate. And then we need to know where everything could be located. And that should line up well with when the application drops, I hope.
0: Yeah, so they're trying to avoid a little bit about what happened in California, where there's these pot deserts where you can go many, many miles, hundreds of miles. Like Orange County, for example, is like a pot desert. There's so many local communities that that forbid the use the the sale of ma- of marijuana that you know you have to go to like just certain little areas. Now Los Angeles, where I live, is is completely open, and you can find it pretty much anywhere. So New York will be a little bit different. I mean, of course, yes, like you said, we don't know about the zoning. It's not like you, there'll be a pot shop on every corner. As far as we know, there'll probably be some sort of zoning. You might have one on Fifth Avenue, but you're not going to have like a million pots, especially now with all its open real estate, New York could just become a gigantic pot store, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. It could happen. It could. <laughs> we'll see how many we get. There, there will be, I, look, there are buffer zones that we think will be
1: put into the regulations at the state level, and there will be buffer zones in all likelihood at, at the municipal level as well. Talking, We're talking like a 1,000, maybe 1,500 feet from one another as a baseline requirement, but we might see some of these cannabis deserts here in New York, too. Long Island, for example, is a very, very conservative place. Nassau and Suffolk County, even the Democratic senators from Long Island who I've met with over the last 12 months, 18 months about the adult use bill have said kind of they're not in favor and they believe their constituents are not in favor. And so they can opt out. I think most of the towns in Long Island are going to opt out and there will be pockets that will wake up and realize that they won't get any of the tax revenue and are also just open to where the world is headed and where it's been headed, which is it's okay. And they'll probably figure out that cannabis is in their community, whether they have regulated the sale of it within their community or it looks like Long Island will be a little bit of a cannabis desert, right? In that respect. Uh it's super conservative. And I think most towns are going to opt out. Some have some opted out the day before the day after the bill passed. Some of them opted out a year ago, preemptively, knowing that the bill was coming, and I've had some conversations with with local politicians and some of the state senators representing Long Island. and they're just dead set against it, again, not realizing that uh, that cannabis is already in their community. Whether they know that or not, they should know that it's there. What they're missing is that it's there. It's there in your community, right? So if you want to ensure that the teachers who are teaching your children keep their jobs, maybe, or that law enforcement has the right tools to enforce things like impaired driving, which is, uh, has been a hot button issue, it was till the very last day of this bill passing, then they should have that tax money.
0: All right, so we talked about getting real estate, whether you're a cultivator or a dispensary owner. So what is the next step? So you secure real estate and hopefully you got to kind of gamble here, right? Because you don't know. I mean, you gave one very good bit of advice like you wouldn't buy a cultivation space in you know the greater metropolitan area because A, it's gonna be outrageously expensive because of Amazon and also because we don't know about the regulations yet. So what else do people need to do aside from secure land?
1: I would suggest everybody read the bill, right? That might be trite and, and simple, but everybody should read the bill and understand what the spirit of the law is and, and what the state's gonna be looking for when it comes to applications and, and licensure and what those requirements might look like. It is difficult to tell, right? You, you need to read the tea leaves a little bit. And I appreciate and understand that that I and my colleagues have a, a strategic advantage because we've helped shape it and know the right people so we know really uh you kind of know where, where everybody's going.
0: heads at on this yeah
1: but people need to read the bill and understand what it says right and it's available online take a look at what it is i think the most important what's
0: the name of the bill so people could google
1: it it's the MR MRTA i think it's it's uh senate bill 8 8- 54, I think is what it is, but you can Google it, the New York MRTA, Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act and uh, take a look at the bill, right? The next thing I would do is I'd be hiring uh, advisors, right? So whether those are lawyers and or lobbyists, um, I don't know if everybody needs to go out and hire a lobbyist. So we wouldn't tell anyone not to, it sort of depends on who you are, and where you sit, but uh, go out and find someone that, that is going to help write that app, but that has experience in doing that. You know, it's, now, I'm not, not trying to plug our business, but that's what we do. and And I think that's that smart operators and 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 potential applicants, Right away, you know, the phone started ringing and people said, what do I do? Is it you guys, do we work with you? Is there someone else we need to work with in addition to or alternatively, right? So I think speak to lawyers, speak to anybody who has any expertise in this business. It's not just us, there are other people who are very good at app writing. There are other lawyers who understand this bill really well, a lot of whom um, I'm privileged to be friends with and and we have a nice tight knit cannabis community here. It's very small, but it's growing. So I, I think, you know, you can reach out to people who are, have been working on this and understand the cannabis industry. If they haven't done this before, And they're a first-time operator. There's a, as you can imagine as you know, right, there's a lot of hand holding. This is a very clubby, unique, it's a nuanced industry. It's really tough. It's not like you just turn the lights on. Oh, I sell weed now. This is easy. It is not an easy business. And it will not be an easy business here in New York for a lot of reasons. One of them is that this is not as a threshold issue. I feel like it's like a public service announcement. The adult use framework is prohibiting vertical integration. And everybody should know that as a threshold matter. So Kind of going to your question, the first question anybody should ask themselves is, what lane do I want to be in? Do you want to be a cultivator, cultivator and processor? Do you want to be in distro, all the above, or do you want to be in retail? Or do you want to have an asset-like brand? So I think if, as a threshold matter, do you want to grow cannabis? Do you want to process it? Do you want to move it or do you want to sell it? And that's obviously going to drive that decision. So uh, most people know the answer to that. Um, I think, I don't think, I I haven't spoken to anyone said I've never grown cannabis in my life and I'd love to get a cultivation license. If they did, I'd I'd tell them to probably try something else.
0: What about delivery? Talk to me about delivery because I feel like that's gonna be an important facet in New York. It
1: is and anybody who's ever lived in New York City who has consumed or purchased cannabis. Uh, at any point in New York City, knows that you get it through delivery systems, uh, delivery services. High maintenance, <laughs> right? Like everybody knows, there's a there's a show about it, and the state is is very very well aware of that, and and there are a lot of traditional market operators with extremely well extremely sophisticated um, supply chain management and huge networks of clientele, and the state has acknowledged that, recognized it, and and has allowed a lane for delivery. They don't want anyone owning the space. So there are some limitations on how big you can go with a delivery business, but you can have a standalone delivery and you can also attach it to your retail license, your brick and mortar retail, which is huge because that's how people buy cannabis. And if we can't have that, we have that delivery. If we didn't have it, there'd be no shot for adult use to compete with the traditional market. The other piece uh, that I think is is really unique here is the licensing of consumption lounges. And we don't quite know how that's going to play out. We've, I've been approached with, with it from, uh, by several operators who, who want to open up consumption lounges, but they have some really unique ideas in mind. Uh, you know, some of that Amsterdam coffee shop feel all the way to some of, you know, the fancier uh, West Hollywood consumption lounges like Aon Botanica that are opening in West Hollywood. All of those concepts are on the table and it'll be a, a very unique landscape. I cannot wait to see how the consumption lounges end up rolling
0: out. So right now it seems like what, no matter what lane you go in, you're probably going to need to fill out an application. Are there applications available yet or are those still being devised? They're not out. I
1: don't think they'll be out until, I don't know if we're going to see them this year. I think we might see them. My, my best guess is we see them around January, 2022, but that's like, once the application drops, like we're already talking like seventh inning by that point, right? The ground game begins. The ground game has begun. People have already begun to lock up real estate. Acquire real estate, build their team, uh, their advisory board, and and the support system around them. That all of the work that goes into the application, right? It's it's a bit of um, you know, winning a license in a competitive jurisdiction is a little bit like a you know, running a political campaign. Once you pick your location, a lot of the next steps follow from there. So you decide that you want to be a retail operator, so you pick your location. The next thing I would do is back into what community board if you're in New York City. Or if you're in a different town, you start meeting with local politicians to ensure that they're going to support you and that you're going to support your business and start to have those conversations and, and or negotiations, if you will, around how you're going to um, support your local community depends on where you are. So a lot of those decisions around how you're going to support that community, which which all goes into the application. For example, we're going to hire 50 percent people from this local community will be employed. And, and of those, half of those people will be minorities or women or other underrepresented groups, issues like that. It really does begin with the real estate because it is hyperlocal, but that work has, has begun in earnest already. So I'd start right away. It's not that much time.
0: I know. It's funny to, to start, but you don't even have an application to fill out yet, but you still have to kind of come out with your vision, right? And your, your point of difference and your sell, your sell to the government and agencies that are off, ultimately going to sign off on that application. And I guess a, a lawyer could help you maybe strategically position yourself in a way or your company in a way that would make your application highly appealing to to the people who are the decision makers. That was a great tip, you know, as far as the equity piece, because I'm, I'm imagining in this bill, which I have not read, that is a huge part of it. It is, typically tends to be the social equity piece. So is that something that you're advising your clients on, like try to include That part of how do you advise on the social equity component of getting a license?
1: Sure. So let me sort of frame the issue and how this came about in New York and where we're at. Right. The goal here is it's a really progressive bill. It's fantastic, and we're seeing it already play out. And in our underwriting process of selecting application clients, uh, we can't take everybody. um, And I'm just speaking from my own perspective. Right. What, What we're seeing happen is we have a pretty good sense of. Who's got a better shot than anybody else at a very high level, um, understanding the bill? What they did here was the goal in the bill, there's a stated goal of giving 50% of all of the adult use licenses to minority and women-owned businesses. And that doesn't mean social equity. And I think people conflate social equity with minority and uh, minority ownership or minority operating. They're not the same thing in almost every place, perhaps everywhere. Uh, I don't think the intention is to conflate the two here, either. So the goal is to give fifty percent of those licenses to women in minority owned businesses. It's fantastic. There really is a huge opportunity. i'm I'm not. It's not like a sales pitch for the state in this program. I, we'll see how if it's successful. But there is a huge lane for women in minority owned businesses who who may not have had the same opportunity in other states. It's really unique in that sense. A subset of that initiative and that effort is social equity so social equity applicants we don't know quite how this all plays out but the technical concept of a social equity applicant is probably going to be people who live in uh, communities that have been disproportionately impacted by the misapplication of our criminal justice system who you know fall below certain income thresholds who have uh, been incarcerated for nonviolent cannabis crimes or who have immediate family members who have been incarcerated who've been truly like directly impacted by the war on drugs those people fall into the social equity category which to me is a subset of the larger effort of making sure that people other than white men have some stake in this industry, which is, as of today, not really the case, right? So true social equity applicants will be, they're going to have certain benefits as they should, where things like their 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 application fees are going to be waived. I've been advocating for their taxes to be uh, reduced, their state-level taxes to be minimized. They they shouldn't be paying the same taxes as everybody else. If you really want to give give them a real shot here, like let them make some money. Uh, Anyone who operates a standalone retail cannabis business knows that 280 is a a gut punch. So what that's translating into is we are advising people, if you can form a business, if you can formulate your business as a women or minority owned business and get that business certified, there's a formal process here in New York to be certified as a women or minority owned business. Go ahead and start doing that now. Do it now if you can. If you have 51% ownership and that information is available online on the New York State website about how to go about that certification, I would do that now. So. I think the people with the best chances of winning are people with diverse operating teams, management teams, and diverse cap tables, even if that's possible. They're going to have a huge leg up whether you consider them to be social equity or not. So you can have people who perhaps don't come from those communities that are women or minorities that don't come from their communities that are algorithmically determined to be disproportionately impacted by the war on drug. You live in a nice neighborhood, but that doesn't mean that you should be shut out. From these opportunities, you should be given the same opportunity. So we're advising people to create really diverse teams um, and diverse leadership. I mean, I, I love seeing the people coming to us, calling us these women and minority-owned businesses. I am so excited for them because I, I think they've got a huge, huge chance of winning. And not only winning a license, but being competitive. So winning the license is, you know, if you're again, if you're in this business, winning that license, like that's like step one. That's just the beginning. That is the end of the beginning of the process operating in this industry is really super tough. So there's a lot that goes on there. And the way they set it up, right? You can only own, the MRTA only allows anybody, any company to own up to three retail locations. And again, you have that ban on vertical integration. There's likely to be a cap on canopy. So there, no one's gonna go out there with a 2 million square feet of canopy business plan. That won't work. So it's gonna be fragmented. I think supply chain will be difficult. Uh, supply chain management will be challenging as it is in most places, more so here. Because we have a three-tiered system, but that means there's more opportunity, particularly for small business owners.
0: Yeah, that's great. So t- talk about the ban on vertical meeting, you cannot own a seat to sell business operation in New York State. You need to yep. OK. So you have to have pieces need to be owned by different people. Because I think a lot of people's fear was like some of the big MSOs, multi-state operators, would kind of come into New York, buy up all the land and just take over the business. And so New York state is making sure that doesn't happen or trying to make sure that doesn't happen.
1: Yeah. And I think they'll, I think they'll largely succeed. And there's, there's a huge exception, a huge gaping hole in that, that effort and that thesis, um, which we could talk about with the medical operators, but yeah, look, they, they, uh, there's a three-tiered system here. It looks a lot like alcohol. And. I think there are two reasons for that. One, it was the state wanted to give these opportunities to small business owners, maybe keep some of the bigger, bigger guys out coming in from out of state. But I also think that the the liquor distribution industry is very interested in planting a flag here in New York and being part of the the ecosystem. And we'll see if that comes to fruition. I think that's it will be welcomed by some and maybe not by others who maybe have a misunderstanding of of where they fit into the equation here. But yeah, that's um three-tiered system is going to be pretty interesting. It would be great. I, I would welcome seeing liquor distributors. get. In.
0: Define the three-tier. What are the tiers? Just so I understand clearly what the tiers are.
1: It's like a three slash two and a half slash three and a half tier <laughs> system, depending on it. You know, we yeah. don't, we'll see what everybody does, right? It, this is what's- Cultivation. Cultivation, processing, manufacturing, distribution, and then retail. It appears that you can have a cultivation, processing, and distribution license. So you can be quasi vertical. I mean, you can get it all the way to the store. It's really like if you have a retail license, you cannot. And the bill is really heavy handed. It's an issue that I've made a, a point of discussing with certain people upstate about how it's going to stifle capital formation. But the bill is is really heavy handed in that what it says is if you're a retail license holder, you cannot have any direct or indirect financial or economic interest in a cultivation license holder or processor. And you could interpret that very, very broadly in ways that there will be inadvertent violations of the bill. So until there are regulations that come out and clarify that and perhaps create certain safe harbors, like for example, the state of Massachusetts has something, then we might see a little bit of stifling of capital formation, because there are also investors coming to us saying, how do we go about putting money to work in the state? It's a little difficult to advise on that because we don't know, for example, if an investor wants to invest in, a, in one retailer in a completely separate, cultivator, is that completely banned or is there a minimum threshold of ownership that would be acceptable? In Massachusetts, you can have three stores, but you can own up to 9.99% of effectively an unlimited number of other retail licenses. So there's these safe harbors through the regs that that we're hoping to see... put
0: in. All right. Well, this is my head is spinning in a good way. I mean, there's just so much information. You've been really a wealth of information. I feel a lot smarter after this conversation than I did before it. Is there anything we're missing? A final bit of advice for those interested in getting to the industry. To recap, (laughs) land grab, (laughs) legal representation, meet with community members, start thinking of social equity piece. If you're a woman or a minority, you know, realize that there is that you definitely have an opportunity here, uh, which is really exciting just a social equity piece. Am I missing something at this early day?
1: I think that's, you know, I think that's it. Just know that the 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 volume on this is is just going up on a daily basis. And the competition, it's not a lot of time. If the application is is released in January and say applications are due in Literally 12 months from now, that is not a lot of time to formulate your business plan and get everything together because the time that the app, by the time the application is released, it's go time. You, you better have your plan and you will be blocked out if you wait that long. Even I think if you wait till the fall, you'll be blocked out of real estate positions. Certain key people will have already been sort of spoken for. So that work starts now. And I've been, I've been, I started playing, you know, moving some of these puzzle pieces around last year, well before the bill passed. And I think there's, It's going to be very competitive. It's going to be very competitive with a lot of new entrants, um, a lot of people from out of state, and it's going to get a little crazy here. So before it gets too crazy, I would start zero in on, on maybe not like a piece of real estate, but where you want to be, figure out what lane you want to be in, figure out who you want to work with, and then everything comes from that. But I I would begin uh, immediately. And if you are thinking about doing it and you are a woman or minority and you do have operational experience and you think you have a line of sight to funding, Go ahead, go for it. It's a huge opportunity here.
0: Yeah. Well, Jeff, this has been really, really great. Thank you so much for your wealth of knowledge here. If people want to find out more about Feuerstein and Kulik, where should they go?
1: Go to our website. It's dfmklaw.com. Anybody obviously can can reach out or Google us, Feuerstein Kulik, and reach out to, to any of the partners and contact us and uh, give us a
0: ring. We'd be uh, happy to talk to you about cannabis because that's all we do. All right. Well, Jeff Schultz, yes. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com. Check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, Check out my other podcast, Write About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.